I'm Kisara Bowman. Today, my guest is chef and restaurateur Christian Puglisi. He joins us from Copenhagen. Christian has quite the resume, so I'll try to just do a quick recap of his life up until now. He worked at El Bouilly in Noma. He helped pioneer a forward-thinking approach that forever changed fine dining, introducing all of us to a more laid-back service. He also paved the way for the natural wine bar trend that we see around the world today. Not only did he introduce natural wine to diners, but he also became a wine importer, eliminating middlemen and streamlining that path to the source. Speaking of source, he created Farm of Ideas, an organic small-scale farming operation dedicated to pushing the boundaries of sustainable agriculture, located 45 minutes outside of Copenhagen. The farm provides produce to his restaurants, but the greater hope is to spur dialogue among chefs and farmers that will lead to meaningful changes for the world's food systems. A few months ago, he closed two of his restaurants, the Michelin-starred Relay and the natural wine bar Manfred's. His three other restaurants remain open. Those include Mirabelle, which is a bakery and restaurant, Rudo, which specializes in vermouth and bar snacks, and Based, an Italian restaurant with award-winning pizza. Today we'll be discussing how sometimes fighting for freedom can mean doing less, a genius analogy, how restaurant years are equivalent to dog years, and how going against the system can be very liberating. So I'll start by asking, as we always do, Christian, have you eaten yet? And if you have, what did you eat today? Good morning, and thank you very much for inviting me for this. No, I have not eaten yet. I, it is uh, nine o'clock here for me, and uh, I don't actually eat breakfast. So I start eating around 12 o'clock-ish when, when it's time for some lunch. So, so nothing going on yet. All right. Well, what what I do want to jump into is, can you give us an update of the situation in Denmark right now? Are restaurants open for indoor dining? Mm -hmm. uh, no. Now, since uh, mid-December, we went into uh, the second lockdown uh, that has been very strict uh, in terms of anything business-wise, like no activity uh, for you to be able to go to restaurants or shops or anything. Now they reopened schools three, four weeks ago and uh, retail shops have opened last week and restaurants are still not uh, open. And <clears throat> to be honest, I don't think that we will see that before May or so. So it's it's going to be close to six months of, of not being active. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh and just for me to clarify, I've heard conflicting reports about government funding, how that works for restaurants during mm -hmm. the pandemic. Uh, something, there was one thing that I saw that even if you sold one takeout coffee, for example, you're not allowed to be open for takeout, you wouldn't get government funding. Can you mm -hmm. explain and clarify for me? Yeah, also because for me, it has been, it's been quite uh, particular since we have uh, based in Mirabel with two very different activities, but is one business as a whole. So that has been a very complex situation for us to be in. But how they did it, you have to say that from the first lockdown to the second lockdown, it has changed quite a bit. And even during the first lockdown and during the second lockdown, it has changed as we have been going. So you kind of need to have some some. Uh, you know, some, some good advisors and some people to be able to help you to, to sort it all out. But as it is, I think uh, we are very privileged uh, in this country because we are uh, being given a, lo a lot of slack for this. Uh, as it is now, if, you, uh, if your revenue is 100% out, like you don't have any revenue, you get up to 90% of your fixed costs, uh, covered and 90% of your uh, wages covered. So you have to pay monthly 10% of all those things, but uh, you don't operate and you don't have uh, uh, obviously uh, any revenue. If then there's like sort of this staircase that you can sort of move down on. So if you have say 20% of your revenue left, 
then uh, maybe it's 80% or 70% that gets covered or something like that. It's kind of difficult because how do, how do you sort this out? And for us, it was a big problem because when we were shut down for the second lockdown, mid-December up to Christmas, it was like, okay. And at the time, it, you, you sort of felt COVID creeping up on you. You know, it was like, you know, the friends or whatever friend had it and this guy. And it was really scary in the sense that one thing is being shut down by the government. Another thing is you're shut down because you have people sick. Like from a from a public relations point of view, you just really don't want to be in that situation. So as the lockdown came, honestly, I felt it as a relief because we could just be OK. Then we're covered because you don't get anything covered if you have people homesick and you cannot run your business. Right. So I was like, okay, this this is a, actually a fine time for us. Let's shut this down. Let's see how Christmas goes. Let's have a long Christmas holiday for once in our lifetimes, and then we see what what happens. But then it's been months, right? So now you're kind of getting restless. And what what we did in the first lockdown was that we kept Mirabel going as a bakery, and just selling things. And we did like a local. A grocery shop trying to connect our producers with people from the neighborhood and sort of being acting as a middleman more than a, a, a craftsman so to say uh, but but uh, we 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 just needed to shut down during this christmas and we didn't go that way and we considered redoing it and now we are sort of trying to sort out okay if we have a bit of revenue through mirabel then you know can we make it work and we sort of found uh, a limit where we can do bread four days a week and we do croissants four days a week. And that's sort of what we do. And we just reopened today. So so at least. But this is also for us to just have this house going. You know, it's it's depressing to see a restaurant shut down for so many months and the kitchens is, uh, are not moving. And, uh, you know, we need we need some activity now. Yeah. Well, congratulations on reopening. That makes sense to me now that you, theoretically, you could be open. The government is going to subsidize a portion. Mm-hmm. So now I, I understand that more yeah. now. It was, so I you, think it's it's very good. And I think it's very privileged. And still a lot of people are complaining because that's what people do. But I think compared to what I've understood what's going on in the States, which is a disaster, I think we're mm-hmm. very well put off here. And, you know, and I have to say, January, February are not normally the best months for running a restaurant. It's also months where we normally don't have any tourists around at all. So in in 2021, with the with the situation that we've been in, with COVID lurking and all these things, if we had not been shut down with so much covered, we would have had two super crappy months anyways. We would have lost money, you know what I mean? Because... Maybe you could have been open with big distances between the tables and the, oh, it would have been an awful period of time. So I'm really appreciative that we've been able to do it this way. And now we just want to get back at it as spring is, is coming up. It's time for us to get going. Yeah. Well, so I gave you or gave our listeners a breakdown of all that you've accomplished so far in your career. Um, and so I'm going to kind of go from what we're talking about and what you've done during this pandemic, the different thoughts that have crossed your mind. Um, In your career, every intention that you had, you brought to life. Mm. Independence, when I read about you, it seemed like independence was the undercurrent of all your success. Your decision to close two of your restaurants is connected to the pandemic, but not in the predictable way that some may think. Mm. Like most, um, you had time to reflect. And you took this time to make a liberating decision that frees you to focus your time in a different direction. So Christian, if you could please talk about this process and why fighting for your freedom today means doing less. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I, I, I think you, you, you coined it with saying independence. Uh, in, in, in Danish, when you say you, that you become an entrepreneur, you, you call it being self-standing. Self-standing means independent, right? So, so when when I t- took the step from being a, a chef somewhere to wanting to do my own thing, that was it. You know, I'm be- becoming independent, and you know, you go from this lifestyle of being a person that has a job and has a, a, a paycheck secured to uh, having to create that for yourself. 
perfect for my for me for my personality i've been really thriving in this situation because i'm a, a sole child you know uh, and i'm just very independent in every way uh, as a character so so to to make a living like that made a lot of sense and then you know i started building something based on dreams and vision i wanted to open a restaurant that became relay all of a sudden there was another restaurant that became Uh, a possibility that was Manfred's and these two things started working together and I went from having you know two three guys I had to convince to come work for me to all of a sudden we were 20 people fast forward 10 years later it's 130 employees and the question is where did that independence go because you go from being a person that is extremely dependent on who's paying you to being a person that's really depending uh, dependent on people you're paying <laughs> so 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 the independence that was for me to be able to decide my time, I saw slowly suffocating in just dealing with so many problems, you know, focused on many different things, layers away from my own daily work and my own daily focus and my own sort of, you know, inspirations that I just realized, okay, is this, is, is this where I want to keep on going? Do I need to go further down the street? Because I remember it already back when when having two restaurants, uh, everybody would ask, oh, what's your next project? What's your next project? What's your next project? It's kind of this thing that in everybody's mind, the one parameter for success, if you are in this kind of uh, uh, life, is more, open more, open more, another project, another project. But it's kind of strange that at the same time, you you can sort of oh, have this uh, uh, infatuation for zero dreams of sushi. Oh, the guys did 60 years and did sushi all day. You know what that means? That means not doing fucking anything else, right? So so either either you have to do 60 years of the same shit or you have to do new things, new things, new things, new things. And I was like, people, I need to find a balance where I keep my independence highest and I know that I get what I want the most, which is the freedom to choose what I spend my time on. And this, this, this wild race I've been on, and I've been extremely successful on it because my biggest problem has been caused by my capability of making my dreams come true. <laughs> you know, that has just been building up around me in a sense that I was like, fuck. I've done Relay. It's been amazing. I'm so proud. So let's close it. I've done Manfred's. I'm so proud. It's been successful. So what now? Why do you want to keep this operating? Because you think you get caught up in, oh, this is this is going well, you know, and you make money there and you make money there and you make money. But, but all that stuff, like it's not stock investments that just whatever, something happens. It is a daily you know, mental space that it takes up. And, and you know, I since 16, 17, I had uh, promoted John Tam to be the head chef of Relay and sort of was releasing myself slowly from the position of the guy having to be there all the time. But there has not been one day where Relay has been open, where uh, I've not had my son as, a, as the reason why I wasn't there, where... I haven't had a little bit of a bad conscience for not being there. Not a single fucking night. And, you know, then are you there, you're not there. But it's still this complex dynamic that I think was was difficult because that kind of place is built around a persona and people have some expectations about that. And no matter how much you try and explain them, it's not the point. I don't think it makes a difference. It's still what they expect so that you have to live with. No? So for me to be able to close some chapters is 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 really the 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 today my greatest achievement because i feel that to to still as i would feel that the wild horses that have been rolling my chariot forward were getting out of control whew, i strained them in and i kept going the way i want to go and that to me is something that i'm extremely proud of because it is very difficult today to renounce on success financially and you know in this way where you know you had to consider oh i don't have a michelin star anymore i'm not the michelin star chef anymore 
Oh, am I going to go to international conventions? And all that shit doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And Corona has been an enormous lesson because it took away all the bullshit. It wiped off everything off the table. And you had to understand what is it I want on my table? What really makes a difference? And some of that stuff just became clearly, well, I'm still happy. I'm actually happier than I've ever been. So, so you know, do I need to chase this for what? For other people's recognition? I don't care. I got my shit under control. I'm independent and I go forward. That's the state now. And see, it's amazing because you, when you described it, you've actually chased your dreams, had success. That's it. End of story. Yet people still kept asking, so what's next? What's mm-hmm. next? I don't understand what, what's the infatuation with our society with what's next? Why, when you need more, I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. It's a constant, you see the burnout. It's, it's crazy. So for you to make this declaration, it's radical, but it shouldn't even be radical. Yeah, but it definitely is today because we are focused on this growth idea that everything needs, you need to amass more. You need to have, once you're in a house, you finally got the mortgage payment for a house. If you get a better job, you need a bigger house. That's just how it is. And I'm like, I learned that the day that I was making money and I didn't buy the Porsche was a good decision because when Corona hit me and I didn't get paid for six months, you know what? It wasn't a problem because my fixed costs were not that bad. I have an apartment very close to the apartments. Uh, sorry, to the restaurants. It's a, it's, it's a fine size. It's a fine location. And it's fine with the expenses. And I really enjoy it. And the time that I have been in a financial, completely um, unexpected situation, I have been thriving. And I just realized, you know what? I don't even need that paycheck. So, 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 you know what I mean? Like, I can, if I can just go with half of it, imagine how much time that releases for me. I can do whatever the fuck I want. I, there's a, there's, the, there's 10,000 books I want to read. But when am I going to read them if I just need to run around chasing the, the, uh, the, the rats around? You know what I mean? So, so, again, that's just, if I can set up myself in a way that is sustainable, which means for the next 50 years this will work then I can spend my time as I want it. And that goes both socially, uh, personally, in terms of family, and being being in the situation I want to. And I don't feel, as I did maybe 10 years ago, that I need to prove myself in this industry and professionally. And I've come beyond that point, not because I feel that I've done everything, because there's many things I want to work on. But what I've really realized is that I don't need to prove anything to anybody, just towards myself. And that is, that is a big relief. That is. Now, when you are thinking about 50 years down the line, this is something that my husband and I have one restaurant, you know, but we still think about this. What is, and especially him, he's a chef. You know how that is. That's, that's just, that's a lot. It's draining. Um, what do you think 50 years down the line? What do you think? Speak to the to the aging chefs out there. For those of us who are, you know, in our 40s and 50s and 60s, you know, what does that look like to you? I, I need some inspiration. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's difficult. I think I think it's difficult if you if you are a chef in the sense that you are purely a craftsman craftswoman, if you can say that, <laughs> uh, which means that it's your hands that, that really need to bring you forward and your skill set based on that. 50 years down the line, in terms of both physical health and, and dealing with the work that, that is straining as it is, it is extremely difficult to keep on doing it. You need to have to stay in this business you need to be able to go to the top by adding other skills than the craft. If you don't have a way of communicating the food that you do, of being a leader, of management, human resource, whatever, so you can somehow you know, overlap with some other things 
it is extremely difficult. If you are independent restaurateur, in the sense that you do it in a smart way so that sooner or later you're not in a rotor or in a schedule and you have to get up and put the bread in the oven or whatever you need, like 400 kilos of bread. Like at one point when you reach a certain age, which comes very early in this industry, you start getting tired in your back, you start getting tired in your knees and it starts getting difficult. But on the positive side, I believe that the skills that you do acquire in a kitchen environment or in a restaurant environment that is high-paced, intense, uh, focused, without the bullshit that you often you find in environments, working environments, where people have to sit down and discuss fucking everything all the time. Mm-hmm. There are so many learnings that you can bring and export into whatever other life you want to live. So, so like I have uh, uh, chefs doing apprenticeships and maybe in Denmark, it's kind of often that people do maybe no more than five, six years in this industry, but the training as a chef and the, 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 the being in this industry, I think is something that you can bring with you no matter where you go. And I think that that's in the sense is very valuable. The problem is that the, the, the paycheck and the, and the, and the, you know, proportionally with the strain and the work and the hard work that's in it, it's just not sustainable in the long run. Like my girlfriend, she's a doctor and she has set, she just knows that's how it is in Denmark because the, the doctor's unit is extremely powerful in Denmark that for every year she will, she knows what's going to happen with her wage. And she knows that once she gets to a certain uh, age, she will be at this level as a doctor and her work will be accordingly. So for her to be 60 and being a doctor, it's going to be peachy. It's going to be fantastic. But we don't have that because there is no position where you get the amount of money you deserve at that time. And we don't appreciate it because economy-wise, food is not appreciated enough. It's just as simple as it is. So whenever you put craft in it, it will be devaluated. It's like I, I, I see people here in Denmark, if you get a plumber, a plumber that needs to fix your whatever, your bathroom and da, 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 it spends a day, might charge you 300 euros, no? 400 euros for a day's work. If, 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 uh, if, if people have to pay 50 euros for a menu per person, for, for, for 20 people that a guy has to spend three days prepping, da, 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 they can't see why that makes sense. As a craftsman, Compared to many other crafts in, in construction and whatever, like a jointer or carpenter, all these things, we are not paid as we should. And that is for, because of people's understanding and evaluation of food as a, as a, as a, as a base. And that's very problematic. And that's interesting because you would think here in the States especially, but in Denmark, I think, well, you guys have a better system generally, yeah. so it's more, you yeah. know, equal, yeah, it, but still. It, it is, but the discrepancy between this kind of job and a better job is even huge. Like, it's even bigger compared to what you, what you see, you know? Like, if you, if you go into marketing here, <sighs> peachy, easy, you know? It's 37 hours a week, and then you might find the top 5% whatever marketing companies that just hammer through, but that's for the very ambitious. But, but I understand that young chefs, young apprentices here at the age of 23, you know, they realize that their friends, they're fucking doing fuck all. Right. And they're just hanging out. And why do I, you really need to have a drive that wants you to do this. And it's difficult in the long run. It's difficult. Well, one of the silver linings, like you mentioned, like your cost of living was good. You were, you were low cost of living. You didn't live above your means. So you're good during the pandemic. That's how we were. And, you know, it's interesting, the pandemic for us, we could restructure our business and kind of make it more for our taste. So streamline that menu, you know, make our lives easier. And boy, was that was our reckoning. Like, holy shit. Our life exactly. is way easier because look what we've done. We've we've made the restaurant work for us, and that was a game changer. Exactly, that's a very good move. Very good. Yeah, 
So, and this kind of goes right into it. I read that you like to see restaurant years like dog years due to the intensity of either working in a restaurant or owning and running a restaurant. No matter your role or connection to the industry, it can be this intense yet fulfilling experience. And as soon as I read this, it hit me in the face. It resonated with me immediately. Can you explain this analogy in more detail for our listeners who may not get it? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's a. I, I started thinking about it when I think relay was around the four or five years. Uh, so dog years is normally you say it's seven years for a year, no? So it is the way of understanding how a dog is at at seven years is actually kind of getting up there in the age. And uh, uh, when, when we were on the fourth and fifth year, I was like, okay, so I guess we are around 30. So we're getting grown-ups and established, you know, like we start doing some more mature sort of choices. And I, I very often um, uh, uh, made another analogy when we opened Relay that I was, I felt like a teenager, you know? So, so I was like, I didn't want to be like my parents. That's what you do as a teenager. You, you, you move out of the house and which was to me was my background at Noma. And I didn't want to do foraging. I didn't want to do all that shit. I just want to be different. You know, and I was very rebellious and I was doing more anti things than I was doing things, which is exactly as I was when I was a teenager. All you do is you spend energy on what you don't want rather than what you actually want. No. And, and, you know, when, when, when we were around the four or five years, I was like, okay, it's getting a little bit more. Smart. Now we're getting a little bit uh, older. Fuck. You know, I don't need to make a point about small things that, that I don't want. Let's focus more on what we actually want to do with ourselves. No? And then, and then, as as Relay came into its tenth year, well, it's at seventy. It's time to retire. You know, we're done. It. It's over. You know, we're we're through. And and at the same at the same time, I've uh, uh, I've tried to to consider. Uh, the 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 restaurants as my kids, you know, and and you you know you you have uh, so I don't know if you have kids, but I have I have one son. But if you have more kids, then then you have strangely enough the same genetics, the same value, the same parents, but different personalities, you know, mm. and they need different care at different ages. So when you have a baby, if that's a restaurant. You need to be there all the time. There's a lot of feelings every day. It keeps you up at night. Life is a bitch. That's just how it is. But you are completely infatuated with it too. You know, you have to be in love with this kid to deal with this shit. That's the same thing as with a restaurant. You have a beautiful idea that you really want to uh, live through and you just live through it because it's hard, right? And then as, as, as that sort of gets up and starts being able to walk on its own and bike on its own, it's kind of different. And then you might get another child. When you get another child, well, that focus is kind of more for you. And then this sort of moves on. And then again, <laughs> once it becomes a, a teenager and a grown up, you know, and th that's another analogy I was using is when, when Relay uh, closed down, it was also because I feel that so many people have been inspired by Relay and I recognize people that have been working with me that have gone out and done things where I see elements of what they've learned with us. So, so rather than just maybe retiring Relay, I felt that sort of uh, Relay was moving away from home, you know, like going out, doing its own mm. thing. I, I could yeah. release it. Uh, yeah. So, so, so that, that's, that's how I see it. And here I have my, my two last kids <laughs> based on Mirabelle that are still, still here. Maybe in five years time, they'll move out of, move out of the house too. And then I can, literally start uh, chilling you know uh, but that, yeah. that's 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 how i see it and that's also why when people say to me why don't you open another manfreds why don't you open another base see you cannot duplicate a person you cannot duplicate the character so i've been not wanting to try and do the exact same thing because my experience has been that once you have this idea and you put it out and you have the bowl floating you don't know what direction it takes so so if you want to duplicate a concept, you remove the possibility of molding this character towards whatever purpose it has at the place it is. Because we started off thinking one thing and, you know, it, it goes in another direction. If you just conceptualize things, it's, it's, it's probably a better business, but it doesn't really 
give you space to develop it in in a in a way that actually make it personal and authentic. Yeah. So, yeah. And most most people don't get that. I mean, I'll I'll have customers approach me, you know, oh, you guys have to open up here and here. No. The magic is I am running this front of house. That is my husband the chef. This is a small restaurant. This is what this is, you know? You don't exactly. duplicate things. Yeah. And for you to have multiple places and to understand that, it it's it's very powerful cuz usually when chefs have multiple places, yeah. they kind of lose track of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then You're I think what, in. what what is like since since the very beginning when I started and people were like I wanted to open a restaurant. There's like, okay, what's the elevator pitch? What's what? Give me one sentence. So how do you want me to say this is gonna be the 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 mass of my experience as a professional and as a human being that I want to put into practice and mold to based on my head. I don't even know how to start. I'm trying. So for me to make this pitch as a business case for you. It's not going to work. And I don't want to do it. I don't want to make it in one sentence. And I've had countless interviews. If you should describe your cooking, if you should describe Relay in one sentence, what would you say? I say, if you, dear journalist or whatever, should describe yourself in one sentence, how would you do it? You can't, can you? Because it is, it is, it is sort of not accepting the complexity and nuance that is in every fucking thing. And that's again, if you go the way of wanting to conceptualize things, what do you need to do? You need to simplify it a lot. For everybody needs to understand it. That's again, once you have 120, 130 uh, uh, staff members, you need to start understanding. Okay, there's a lot of stuff lost here. I realized that that some of my staff. Uh, would know less about who I was and what I was thinking and what was the ideas behind the restaurant than the journalist coming to interview me that day. You know, and you're like, what, how, like, how am I, what am I supposed to do for you to get what we're doing this, you know? And, and I think when you do big businesses, very uh, easily scalable, you are very good at simplifying things and conceptualizing it so a lot of people can understand it without too much of an effort. And and that's fine, and I have respect for that. I just don't know how to do that because what I really appreciate is the complexity and nuances, and that just requires constant um, sort of upkeeping and, and developing and discussion and discourse and talking to people and, you know, challenging it all the time. And I just find that more uh, fascinating. Uh, from a business point of view, the other thing is probably easier. And you feel that. I mean, even when people say, oh, oh, you went to his pizza place? Yeah, I went to his pizza place. It's not a pizza place. You feel the complexity and the nuance when you eat at base. Mm, that's good. Thank you. You know, yeah. it's... it's it, you, you see it in the service and everything. You see it, you feel it, it with your chefs, with the, the oven there. The, it, it's just everything. The lighting, everything. Mm. You feel every detail, mm. even with you not there. So you've done it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, so, you know, to go along with this, uh, going against the system, this is an industry where some chefs are put on a pedestal. Others don't get much recognition. Some aren't even making a livable wage, especially here in the States, uh, or are working terrible hours and are both physically and mentally exhausted. In many ways, it's an industry that is out of balance. And as we were talking before, that can be seen pretty much around the world, even in Denmark, where the government is much more forgiving. Uh You've always said, fuck everything, which I respect. You've gone against what's usually considered the norm in many different ways. The path that you've chosen is not always easy. Going against the norm in any industry has challenges, but can be extremely liberating and rewarding. Now, here's the kicker. Despite going against the system, you still received a Michelin star and have been on the world's 50 best restaurants list. And you've been outspoken about both of these organizations saying the rules are defined by people with subjective points of view. When this global pandemic hit, Michelin continued to visit restaurants and conducted inspections. 
I'm just wondering, did you consider that move out of touch? If yes or no, why? And also, how can we transform this industry as a whole and bring it to a more balanced state? Um, so that, that was a lot of questions. But uh, first of all, the, the, the Michelin Guide, <clears throat> like everything else, as in the 50 best and whatever, all, all these things, we, we tend to forget that it's not the Grammys. It's not the Oscars. It's not something for the industry. It is something to sell tires, to sell bottled water, to sell something else. And everything they do is informed by this. But because we in this industry don't seem to see anything beyond the shiny objects of life, it's easy to, 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 to you know, fool us into thinking that this is for you. And that's the thing, because you get accolades, or you would want accolades. And you, I think you should receive accolades. And I think that that's, that's something I'm proud of, that I've been capable of going into these things, not sort of, you know, getting myself out of it. No, I don't want Michelin star, da, da, da. like, I don't want to be in the 50 best list. I've, I've been like, I have a team, and when we get accolades, it is my duty to receive these accolades, to tell my team, see what I tell you, we're doing fucking great. But at the same time, remind them, it's bullshit. And today it's here, and tomorrow it might not be here. So don't you go thinking that because this is making you happy today, that if you don't have it tomorrow, you should be less happy. Because it doesn't matter. It's on the surface of things. It is not an in-depth understanding of anything that we do here. Anything. When you when you run a restaurant, if you if you uh, have a, a, a seventy cover restaurant, if you do a, let's say you do a fixed menu, if you at the pass of a of a of a kitchen in that kind of restaurant, or if you're in the, at the front of house and you see seventy people every day or you see 70 main courses every day for say five days a week or four days a week or whatever it is, that, that amounts to 500 main, let's say 500 main courses on a, on a, on a week. That's 2000 main courses on a month. You are telling me that anyone out there can be a better expert at that main course than the guy or girl seeing 2000 of them a month. I can tell at the times that I've been at a pass, which I've not been the last few years, I can tell everything going on. I can see if the sauce is the right consistency. I don't even have to taste it, and then I taste it. You know what I mean? And here you come, and you sit down in my restaurant, and you are the expert? you got to be fucking kidding me. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. You can come in and evaluate it, and I think that you should. But I cannot go to work thinking that what I do is to make you think that it's good because I make so many micro-adjustments every single uh, day on every single dish that I am the true expert of it. So how do you deal with this? Well, you have to understand that your parameters for success is something that you need to define. Right. And that's why you see a restaurant. Is a restaurant successful or not? Well, is a dish successful or not? Well, it needs to be living up to what you think it should do. You know, and that doesn't mean that you everything you do is all all perfect. No, you need to obviously have some standards that you want to go towards and that you want to live up to. But if 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 you make a spaghetti with tomato sauce and the 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 the, the reviewer or the Michelin inspector or whoever just doesn't find spaghetti with tomato sauce very interesting right now. Who gives a fuck? If, if you follow this, you will never know when you're doing well because it is following tides in the society, the mood of, of the person. There's so many things that makes it so volatile that to you, if you follow this as the parameter for your success, you will go fucking crazy. And we've seen countless examples of that.
So to me, the, the, the greatest uh, challenge has always been to say, what is the definition of success? I'm, are we satisfied? Are we happy about this? And, you know, and then you have the guest saying, I think this is shit. Well, good for you. How, wh- why was it shit? Was it too salty? Okay, did we make a mistake? That's an obvious, you know, you have to, you have to challenge that. Do you have to be, do something? You know, or maybe it was the concept not for you. You know, a relationship between the, the sender and the receiver in a, in a restaurant setting is as complex as a relationship between two other human beings in every fucking other context. So when, 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 when you can be in love with, with uh, uh, someone and every day have a dynamic that makes that complicated, how, how, can, how can it be so easily defined how that experience is based on just one person saying whether it was good or not. It doesn't make any sense, you know? So, so to me, the, 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 my fascination for restaurants is that it's a sociological bubbling pot of so many things going on. And I cannot take it seriously when someone comes in and throw four or five stars or whatever because you have no fucking clue, bro. You don't know what's going on. I saw you had a fucking bad mood when you walked in this day. Uh, whatever. Or, or, you know, or even on the good. I know, I know that you gave me a good review because of what I told you in an interview a month ago. That works too. You know what I mean? It's People are easily manipulated and it's a subjective uh, experience. And it's just whatever. Everything goes on. So you cannot live by the review. You cannot live by the Michelin star and you cannot live by the rankings and the awards because they're fucking bullshit. It doesn't make sense. And, and you, if you only work towards those things, you will never do true innovation. Never, because you don't have the courage to get out of that box. And then what? And that's, that's, that's my problem with it is that it allows for less diversity. It allows for less discussion. It allows for less creativity because people are afraid and they go for the wrong uh, set of, of uh, criteria to be successful. And, you know, and my, 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 I had a lot of, of, of benefits from the Michelin star, but that was because I didn't want it. You know? <laughs> yeah, because I, say, I, I have another analogy for Michelin stars and even the, the, the awards. And it's like, to me, it's like, if you by accident get a shot of heroin, you're going to have the time of your life because there's a reason why it's extremely uh, uh, dangerous, right? Because the experience is just out of this world. Not, I've not personally tried it, but that's obviously what, what is in the books. But, but if you go looking for that fix, then you're screwed. And see, that is the problem. So to me, it happened accidentally. And I felt that we worked almost against it. This was at the anti-restaurant uh, moment of, of really that we got the Michelin star and we had veneer tables that were shit. We had paper napkins and we had loud music and we didn't give a fuck and everything was about just, oh, fuck you. And, and we got a Michelin star. And I remember I was so touched by it because I felt at the time that we were, we were not even starting from, from zero. We were starting from minus two. So to get one Michelin star was, to me, a reward for the food that we were doing. But I also realized that the Michelin guide also needed us because we were a kind of restaurant that were going against the grain that was for a younger generation. And when you've been called, uh, in Denmark, they called it the toilet guide because how fancy is your toilet? And that gives you the stars. So if we, this is my own theory, obviously, that no one, no one has a, 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 any, you know, it's just, I'm postulating things. And I was imagining this, but we had a, a Beep Goman before we had a Michelin star, right? And Beep Goman is kind of, kind of disappeared now. I don't know what the hell is going on with that, but, you know, value for money. And I hated that because the value for money thing is like, to me, it's, a, it's, it's an imperative. If you, don't, if you don't give value for money, you shouldn't even be in a guide. Right. Anyways, it is what it is. But the problem for me was that it it categorizes you more as a bistro steak kind of restaurant, at least at the time. This was in 11. So so I was like, fuck, we're going to get people that want steak bennies here now. 
because of this Bukoman, no? The year after, Rebecca Burr, which is the editor of the main series of Europe, which was the guide back then, so we're talking top dog, came to eat while I was away on paternity leave, of all things. Imagine that. And they didn't tell me, which is something I'm still grateful for today, because they didn't call me and said, the, fuck, the fucking top dog of the Michelin Guide is here. They just went through it. Great courage, great great respect for John Tam and Christian Bauman that was in the kitchen back then. Oh, nice. Yeah, and after they called me. And and then it was like, hmm, we have the top person coming in here, the big OG. That's strange, we have Bukomang. So I sense there's something going on here. And I believe that because the food that we were cooking was at the level for the Michelin star, they used us to say, you know, we're not that old and stuffy. You know, Relay deserves a star. And to me, that, that was, I might be wrong, but I felt that you have to remember also that that if you see what is that informs the Michelin Guide, they are business too, and they need to make statements because they need to take care of their brand. And as well as we got a Michelin star for that, I also think that uh, uh, Noma didn't get the third star ever for some other political reasons, you know? which was just to say, you know, Noma, Noma is the greatest, uh, uh, just killing the 50 best. It exploded with the 50 best. It's sort of the two of them together became extremely important. There was sort of a parallel uh, sort of trip up to the, to, the, to the sky where everybody was considering the world's 50 best as an extremely important uh, uh, guide all of a sudden. And I'm confident that the Michelin guy took a stance and said, how do we deal with this? You know, maybe th- is it th- this restaurant is so connected with the 50 best that we, we can position ourselves by saying, no, for us, it's not living up to the standards. And you got to be fucking kidding me if you don't think that Noma is worth three stars. Because I've been to a lot of three mission star restaurants and Noma is beyond far most of them. You know, so what is that? And again, do you go to work? Hustling trying to make things better every single day. And then the decisions that are so important for your work are made based on stuff that is completely out of your control. You don't want to be in that position. So therefore, the criteria you need to go for is the criteria that you set and screw those stars. If you get them, good for you. But if you, the worst thing you can be in, or the worst situation you can be in is the the restaurant that wants to be a Michelin star restaurant but didn't get the star. That's the worst kind of restaurant in the industry. Yeah. You have all the pressure. You have making financially the most stupid decisions you can make because all of, sooner or later you find out, oh, maybe we should spend 100,000 euros on cutlery. Maybe that does it. And you spend 100 fucking thousand euros on cutlery and what do you get out of it? Still no star. Nobody knows why. Nobody cares what you do you know what i mean like it's it's you cannot go for these things focus on the kind of experience you want to do and and screw the guide and then you know obviously uh, it requires talent it requires hard work and requires skills to be successful with that but to be against the grain i think it's for innovation is an imperative you have to do it if not it's not true innovation i mean I'm very grateful for for you, for Renee, for for many of the restaurants, or actually, well, yeah, you and Renee, I guess, in Copenhagen, uh, for kind of being the badasses. Because I, you know, we've been to Michelin star restaurants as well, but many of them, I don't like stuffy. That's just not that's not you know us. So it's it's kind of like you spoke for our generation and changed that. You know, you really were trailblazers. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, to me, what the, the point was to, from the very beginning, to say the chefs in the kitchen should be able to walk out the back door and come in the front door, no problem. Right. And and to to me, to I was uh, staging at the Taiwan in in Paris, which was three Michelin star back then. I saw the restaurant when my parents came to visit. I was there for four months. <laughs> I, never, I wouldn't even know what way to like the, the plates would be on a tray and the, 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 the front of house would go into some magical place beyond that door that I don't even know what was. <laughs> That's so strange. And I would, and 
that that is what it is. But going into that restaurant, I would feel like I went to maybe a remote French aunt's stuffy place where, as a kid, I would just literally wouldn't know where to put myself. You know what I mean? I wouldn't right. feel comfortable in that. That place was not made for me. And that's fine because that has its charm on its own. But to me, it was about how do you create a place for me? I want to be able to go in here and have fun and feel that this is my house. And my house is different than my French remote aunt's house, you know, right? for good good reasons. (laughs) Well, Christian, thank you for sharing your story with us. I always like ending by asking if there's any takeaway that you'd like to leave with listeners that can positively influence their lives. It could be something that we just discussed, a pro tip or general life advice that you live by. Oh, there's, 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 there's many things there, but I think it's, I, I, th- I think you should consider, consider sustainability as, as a, as a mindset for yourself. Don't, don't, don't think of it as a climate thing. Uh, sustainability has become, has become a green thing. It's not about being green. That comes along because once you go deep into this, it helps you out. But Thinking sustainably is to think a little bit long-term and mentally focus on what it is that you can control and screw what you can't control because it's not worth your your time or your energy and you will never be truly happy uh, uh, chasing those things. Great advice. Christian, where can people follow you? Well, I'm on uh, on Instagram as everybody else. My name is Krifrapuk, which is uh, an abbreviation of Christian Francesco Puglisi. And uh, I think that's about it. I have uh, just recently put up a, a, a homepage where I sort of gather a little bit more, like more blog style, which is puglisi.dk, where you can sometimes I put up some opinionated pieces and stuff like this, and sometimes it's recipes. And, and it's also where I sort of, try and, and base my my restaurants where before it was the relay community thing now with relay closed uh, the relay community is kind of whatever it's out there in the world now i just focus a little bit more on something a little bit more personal which is the police page so police.dk and and instagram yeah perfect thanks for listening and if you haven't already follow have you eaten yet wherever you get your podcasts